Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. It was a heavy weekend for many St. Louis residents. On Saturday evening, a nearly four-year member of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department was shot in the head while on duty. Officer Tamaris Bohannon has died from his injuries. The 29-year-old officer had a wife and three young children. The suspect in Bohannon's shooting had barricaded himself in a home in the Tower Grove South neighborhood in South St. Louis. He also shot a second officer. That officer was shot in the leg, and he has been released from the hospital. The suspect surrendered to police after a standoff that lasted until the early hours on Sunday. In a statement, Mayor Lyda Krusen called Bohannon's death, quote, a terrible, senseless tragedy, and our thoughts are with his family. And so, yes, we do feel some heaviness today here at St. Louis on the Air. So what better time to talk about shoring up our mental health? From yard signs to grocery store intercoms, praise for frontline workers is everywhere during this pandemic. We say they're heroes, and they are. But often those words are not enough. The coronavirus still continues to spread after five months. For people interacting with the public on a daily basis, that means a lot of anxiety, sickness, isolation, and sometimes death. All of that can take a real toll on mental health. And my two guests today are doing something about that for themselves and for others. Dr. Chandra Aubin is an emergency physician and associate professor at Washington University. Dr. Aubin, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined today by Dina Trainin. She's a licensed social worker and the founder of the Care Collective. That's a community of therapists based in Clayton. Uh, Dina, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Dina, I understand at the Care Collective you've fielded many calls for help in the past month. Are you hearing from a lot of essential workers as part of that? Yes, we've been hearing from lots of people on the front lines, from nurses and um, home health aides to um, grocery and retail store clerks, um, as well as food delivery um, employees. And and what kind of issues? I I know there's probably a wide array there, but if you had to say some commonalities, what are some of the things they're dealing with right now? I think people are really experiencing a lot of anxiety and all of the emotionally dysregulating effects that anxiety can have on a person and their relationships at home. Uh, Many people have a sense of um, increased irritability, uh, lower capacity to tolerate Uh, things that they normally do. So they're feeling more tired, having a hard time sleeping. Um, And sometimes we're hearing about a a sense of unfairness about um, having to be um, out during this um, during this time. Hmm. They feel like they're putting their bodies on the line while maybe other people are are able to just uh, work from home. Right. That's correct. And keep in mind, you know, a lot of our essential workers, um, were um, not necessarily considered heroes before. And so this sort of shift for them has been, um, it's, it's been a new perspective on, on work we hadn't always valued quite this much. Hmm. Now, Dr. Aubin, you've been an emergency physician for more than 30 years. I'm wondering, are these levels of anxiety and, and some of these other feelings that Dina describes so well, is this something you're seeing among the healthcare workers on your staff? Um, absolutely. Uh, I think that... Uh as uh, Dina pointed out, the uh, unsung heroes 
<laughs> when we were working in the hospital, I mean, everybody was uh, really appreciative of the, of the healthcare providers, but there are so many people that without um, them, we couldn't provide care for these people. The food service workers, the housekeeping people, the the techs, the respiratory therapists, security, um, a lot of people in the hospital that I feel like don't uh, didn't get as much attention and gratitude and support. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're finally uh, recognizing these folks and the stressors that they uh, are undergoing. And I will say also that in the emergency department and the patient population as well, I would echo exactly what uh, Dina said, which is that we're seeing a lot more stress-related complaints, a lot more depression, a lot more uh, thoughts of suicide um, because of the isolation and that COVID is certainly additive to any mental health issues that were uh, pre-existing. Hmm. So you're seeing that really compound, that, that people maybe had some problems coming in, but this is now um, just taking off for them. Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of increase in uh, drug and alcohol use and ED visits related to, to that. And also, unfortunately, and sadly, the increased gun violence, uh, I think, is also a result of the uh, the COVID and the uh, other social stressors that are going on right now. And that's certainly incredibly hard on the people in the emergency department. Because you have to see uh, the fallout from those kind of choices. We do. And that's a, a kind of a peculiar thing with uh, healthcare is that we uh, experience other people's traumas, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And over time, that's uh, that in itself is gives a baseline uh, level of stress and anxiety. And I would say COVID has certainly been additive to that. Hmm. Well, Dina, I understand you are one of the people doing something about this at the Care Collective. Um, you guys are now offering no cost mental health support to people who are frontline workers. What prompted you to decide? to start doing that? Uh, well, it's really close to the beginning, um, pri- just prior to when we went into shutdown mode or stay at home. Um, I had a conversation with my sister, who's a physician in Boston, and she used language. Um, she said to me that she was going to be redeployed to an ICU for several weeks. Hmm. Um, and that really hit me, that that's military language. And um, you know, like any other kind of historic moment in time, this was going to bring enduring and persistent stress um, to many people uh, handling it on the front lines. So you knew that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that combined with, um, you know, the Care Collective really is here to support clinicians and mental health providers in their work. And as a lot of clinicians went home to do telehealth, um, there was a a deep sense of wanting to do more for the community and and wanting to show support um, as mental health providers. So it was kind of those two things together. So was it difficult to put together the framework where you could offer this at, at no cost without bankrupting yourselves? Um, well, we've had some challenges along the way, but it's been really wonderful to see so many clinicians answer uh, the call to service and, and um, step up to volunteer their time. So you have a number of people who are basically just taking on um, some free sessions where they can. Yes, that's correct. And um, we have found that we have, um, as, as we have more participants, we have even more volunteers coming in. That's great. And so you've had um, a number of people sign up to take advantage of these sessions? We have, yes. And we 
we currently have, um, we've seen in the beginning, we saw quite a few people uh, take advantage of this offering. Um, and we've seen that sort of trickle down as um, as the pandemic has, has gone on for the last several, several months. Um, but we're looking forward to expanding our services to include teachers and um, school personnel, as well as you know, parents who are homeschooling and, and really need some support right now. So there are more people on the front lines right now. You're expanding your definition of, of what qualifies. Absolutely. In, in many ways, we're all sort of on the front lines at this point. That's a that's a really good point. And, and Dr. Aubin, I'm curious about, as Dina just mentioned there, that there were a lot of people who took advantage of this service in the beginning. And then maybe over time... I feel like we were all, um, you know, determined to do right by ourselves when this all started. And then we kind of got lax with some of it. Have you seen this with the people that you work with that, you know, people take their focus off that self-care and just sort of let it slide? And it's, it's time maybe for a reminder that, hey, we need to pay attention to this. I absolutely agree. We uh, provide we were providing a lot of support for each other initially with the weekly meetings and discussing. And I, I just want to point out that, you know, uh, that for a lot of this stuff, for this stress-related stuff, just talking to a peer um, about what's going on, a peer that understands your, the situation and can uh, uh, under empathize with what you're going through is really very helpful. And certainly in uh, the healthcare industry, we do have a lot of resources, mental health resources. And I think this is so great, though, that there is a free mental health resources for um, people that might not work for large organizations that are able to provide that um, for their employees. So I think that's a great thing. And I would encourage people to to reach out. We, I, we are seeing, after we had kind of stopped our support groups, uh, I've been seeing more people reaching out recently um, that are feeling like they're cracking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's wearing on them. And people that normally you wouldn't have expected are now finding it really hard to come to work. Um, and the work is harder. Um, I think uh, other frontline workers probably experience this too. I'm sure I've, we've all seen the videos of people, you know, spitting on uh, grocery store workers mm-hmm. or yelling at them about mask requirements, and and that kind of uh, personal attack uh, is uh, takes a big toll on people. So I would encourage people to. If they're in an organization, find out what kind of mental health resources are available through that. But I also think the Care Collective sounds like a really, really great initiative and resource for people that might not have any institutional support. And, and Dr. Robin, I'm glad you mentioned these peer-supported efforts. I know you've been one of the key folks in your own department at WashU working on this. What, how did you first become aware of this as an issue um, that you wanted to put some of your energy into? Well, I uh, I think it goes back again to what in medicine we refer, refer to as the second victim syndrome, where um, as a healthcare professional, so much of who you are and your self-worth is tied up into the work that you do. And uh, when you have a bad outcome uh, and a person uh, un- unfortunately dies, whether you could have changed that or not, or sometimes mistakes happen, um, and that may lead to a bad outcome for a patient. Um, and that takes a tremendous emotional toll on healthcare providers. Um, frequently, they won't be able to sleep. They perseverate on the uh, the event and replay it over and over in their head. They feel like they're worthless as a person. Um, and 
it can range from just needing to talk about these events. Uh, a lot of people just talking about these events with a peer is really helpful um, to some people where it really is spirals and they uh, become incredibly anxious and depressed and need more professional mental health. Um, and Dr. Alvin, have you been able to continue those peer-supported efforts at WashU, even with everyone being so busy dealing with, frankly, so many sick people? Uh, well, it, it, actually, more than ever now, hmm. uh, I've been people have been reaching out and asking for help, and and so I'm I'm glad that we are hopefully trying to move away from some of the stigma against uh, seeking. Uh, mental health care, especially as a as a professional, where that's felt to be a sign of weakness or and you have to report it to your professional uh, licensing agencies and p- could potentially harm your your chances of being uh, hired. Um, there's been a real stigma to seeking mental health care. And uh, we're really focusing on trying to change that and, and normalizing it so that it can is always a part of the conversation. Um, we unfortunately have had uh, one of our physicians in our emergency medicine community uh, who committed suicide uh, earlier this year in the wake of COVID. So oh, I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so that's been uh, uh, obviously stressful. And so that's why I'm really appreciative that uh, we're able to have these conversations and, again, normalize uh, mental health and normalize feelings of stress and depression and sadness and uh, secondary trauma and normalize asking for help and reaching out. Dina, have you seen uh, the stigma that Dr. Aubin talks about, that people are are somewhat nervous about just the very act of, of trying to get help? Unfortunately, yes, we have seen quite a bit of that. Um, you know, stigma refers to a sense of of badness or shame that somebody feels when they're struggling with their emotions or their mental health. Um, and it leads to this fear of being rejected for um, seeking help or a, just a general reluctance to reach out. Um, and so it unfortunately still is an obstacle many people face when when they do really need and deserve care. What do you think are some of the other things, Dina, that can hold people back from taking advantage of it? You know, as we mentioned, this is a no-cost service, so money is not the problem right here. Um, What else might hold somebody back from reaching out as as quickly as they should? We've also heard um, quite a bit of people sort of minimizing their own experience, comparing it to others. Hmm. Well, these people, you know, they're probably doing worse than I am. Uh, So there's a lot of of comparing and, and minimizing one's own experience. Um, we also see people with this real sort of need for hyper productivity. Um, so if they're not doing, if they're not if they're not doing enough, then they don't deserve to take care of themselves or have others be caring for them. Hmm. Dr. Robin, do those sound like things you've heard in, in the conversations you've had with peers? Absolutely, and they've also sound like things that I've personally experienced. So, so that hits um, home right that, there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because you just feel like. Um, that if you're not constantly uh, doing something, that you're there's something you should be doing that you aren't. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, sleep disturbance, especially with, that we share this with so many uh, other shift uh, shift workers is is incredibly stressful itself. It uh, it increases your cortisol levels. Uh, you feel um, 
constantly tired, you don't feel refreshed, you're not able to um, provide yourself with that self-love and self-care. And that's, uh, that's so important, uh, especially when you're in a, a job that involves that you, that you are able to be emotionally available and uh, share yourself with a patient. And it seems like the idea of getting a good night's sleep, that is just so essential for keeping your head in the right place. Um, Dina, do you have advice that you give to people when they talk about, yeah, my mind is just racing. I'm I'm thinking about all I'm not doing rather than being able to unplug at night. Uh, Yeah, how we talk to ourselves and how we notice what we're thinking and notice how it makes us feel uh, and what's going on in our body is really key to being able to... uh, to change that dialogue and and calm ourselves down. Um, I really think we need to get to a place where self-care isn't considered a luxury or pampering, but it really is part of our routine care. So sleep and nutrition, uh, having boundaries, uh, having time to process and adjust and grieve, those are all really essential parts of of self-care and and ultimately ways we can get our minds to quiet at night. Dr. Robin, you mentioned earlier um, the angry confrontations that some people, I know it's a very small minority of people, but people who are yelling at grocery store workers because they don't want to wear a mask or they're just angry about the situation and they're lashing out at the people who are there on the front lines. Have you seen this with people who are coming to the ER, that that people are just in in kind of this angry, um, stressed out place? Um, absolutely. Um, and we in the emergency department, it's one of the highest locations for violence against healthcare workers. And I think, you know, for a long time, we were taught that you should just um, tolerate that. And it's just part of the job. And I think that now, you know, setting boundaries, like Dina mentioned, were to say that it's not okay. You know, when you're being abusive, and you're not you know, in the absence of psychosis or, sure. or another reason why you can't understand your behavior, you know, we have to be able as healthcare workers uh, or frontline workers at all to say, I'm sorry, but that behavior is not acceptable and, and, and you need to, I, I, we are not going to be allowed ourselves to be verbally or physically abused. And I think that's a really uh, important thing that we need to be empowered to do. Dina, do you feel like the workers that you talk to, that they feel that they are empowered to do that? Or, or do people feel like they're just kind of being put out there and, and there's no backing? You know, I, I think generally people do have the, um, have been trained to sort of um, take a lot of, um, um, anger and, and hostility from customers and try and de-escalate situations by being accommodating. Uh, so it can be very hard to set boundaries and sort of counter to how many people have been trained in customer service. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think when we're seeing this escalation in anger and angry outbursts at um, really at, at people trying to help and do their jobs, it's, it further uh, it indicates how much stress we're under collectively when we're when we're under that kind of stress, our thinking narrows and we get, we're much quicker to anger. Hmm. Well, if somebody um, is listening to us have this conversation right now and they're saying, wow, this describes me to a T or I'm dealing with these very same issues, but they're not sure that they have the time or the energy to reach out and initiate one of these care collective appointments or to, to look into the peer support resources. Uh, Dr. Aubin, what advice would you give them if, if they feel like they want to seek help, but they're just not ready to do it yet? 
I would say the very first thing is if you can uh, speak with somebody that you work with. Uh, luckily, we uh, at, at, in the hospital work in a community of people, so we probably have more um, opportunities to commiserate and share experiences, if you will. And I, uh, and so I think that would be the first thing if that's available. But I understand also that a lot of these uh, service jobs are more isolated jobs. You're the only person all night at the gas station. Who do you talk to? Who do you reach out to for support? You're the uh, only person on your delivery truck. Um, so... Uh, I think that uh, if, reach out even to family mm-hmm. if you can. Find someone to talk to. As the first step. And then certainly investigate uh, organizational or community resources. And Dina, what advice would you want to give to somebody who's listening and just feels kind of on the fence about whether or not to take action, whether or not to reach out? I would really encourage that person to take a deep breath and to remind themselves that um, it doesn't matter who you are or what your social or political identities are. If you are struggling in this moment, you are deserving of help and care. And oh, Dina? Yes, no, if it is, and go ahead and, and reach out. And if it isn't, um, if it isn't a great fit or it isn't for you, um, having the courage to take that first step may lead to other other ways of reaching out and finding support. And I know the Care Collective, you're putting this out there. It is for free. Um, if people wanted more information about your services, where would they go for that? They can go to our website, which is thecarecollective.co, uh, or they can call us directly at 314-786-3430. So that's 314-786-3430 at the Care Collective. Well, Dina Trainin of the Care Collective, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And Dr. Chandra Aubin, um, emergency physician and associate professor at Washington University, thank you for joining us and, and sharing those experiences. Uh, th- thank you, Sarah. And if I could just make a little p- public health plug. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I just want to say um, masks and hand hygiene really work. In the emergency department where we work shoulder to shoulder with each other and obviously we're in contact with patients uh, who have COVID, we have really had not any cases of COVID that we've been able to trace to uh getting it from a patient. Uh, The people that have come up positive have gotten it from their home contacts or community contacts. So masks and hand hygiene and distancing really work. So I'd encourage people to keep on doing that. And it really, really helps mitigate your risk. And the other big thing I'd like to say is that we're uh, coming into flu season uh, again, as well as uh, as the COVID that's still going to be around. And one thing that we did find was that these same things that help decrease the spread of COVID absolutely help decrease the spread of flu. Um, but I would still encourage everyone to get a flu vaccine, which is going to certainly decrease decrease your chances of getting flu and getting flu. We were having people uh, early in March that were had, had flu and COVID at the same time. So I would really encourage people to seek out the fl- free flu vaccines. Well, that is a, a very good and very timely reminder and remarkable to hear about how healthcare workers properly masked and, and doing these things are not getting this. There's hope for all of us. And Dr. Robin, I want to thank you for sharing it with us today and reminding us of, of what we can do. Absolutely. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.